Hey, I'm so glad to be here. I'm glad that you are here with us as we are in this season of Lent. And who remembers what our Lenten sermon series is called? Letting go. Letting go. And what did we talk about last week? Letting go of what? Letting go of ego. We looked at the story of Joseph. And this morning, the title of today's sermon is Letting Go of the Scorecard. Now, I said that this series called Letting Go is all about opening your hands, uh, not clenching your fist any longer, because we tend to hold on to things. We're human, and we all do this. And I believe that as we open our hands, as we open our hearts, as we let go of certain things in our lives, we will make space within ourselves to receive resurrection, to receive new life, which you're here this morning because that's probably what you want. You want the new. You want new life. You want the things that are dead and dying and decaying to be brought back to life. Or you want something new to emerge. And so this series, Letting Go, it's all about preparing ourselves for what comes at the end of Lent, which is resurrection. But in order to get there, you have to go through a death. Because you can't have new life until there's a death. So these six weeks of Lent are all about letting go of things in our lives that need to die Letting go of things that maybe we didn't mean, uh, we didn't intentionally let go of them, but they just were ripped from us. And so it's acknowledging the grief and the pain and the loss because that's important as well. And we acknowledge it. And as we acknowledge, we make room within ourselves for resurrection. That's what we're doing here. And this morning, as I said, I want us all to let go of the scorecard. Now, what could I possibly mean by that? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 20. And at this point in the story, Jesus is moving towards the cross. And he is telling a whole bunch of parables. Here's how this parable begins. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Who is familiar with this parable? Let's see what we can do with this one this morning. Now, if you are new to the game, if you are unaware or not sure exactly what parables are, uh, a parable, it's a teaching method. And Jesus used this teaching method quite a bit. If you read through the gospel accounts, you will find many different parables. And a parable, it's a comparison. So if you notice what we looked at here, the kingdom of heaven is like this. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he is talking about what does it look like for God's reign to be over the entire world? What does it look like for us to live within the reign of God? What does God's desire for this world look like? So there's a comparison. Jesus is telling a story that has characters and ideas and elements that would have been very familiar if you were alive in the first century in order to talk about what does it mean to live under God's rule? What does it mean to live following God with your life? And in this story, the landowner, we could say, is like the God figure. Again, it's a comparison Jesus is using first century ideas in order to communicate a universal truth. Now, 
we're not alive in the first century. We're a little bit beyond that. So we have to do a little bit of digging in order to immerse ourselves in the first century so that we can pull this teaching into our world today. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look a little bit into the first century to see what Jesus was talking about, all so that we can understand, well, how do we understand God? How do we make sense of God in our lives? And then what does it mean to live as followers of this life that Jesus is teaching? What does it mean to live as a follower of Jesus? The parable continues. This landowner, he went out, and he agreed to pay the workers a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard. First century. A denarius would have been considered a fair wage. Uh, Chances are you're not getting denarius in your paycheck. Anyone direct deposit denarius coming through to your Chase account? In the first century, this time, denarius would have been considered a fair wage. This would have been the going rate for a common laborer. So when the landowner goes out and says, hey, if you come and you work for me for the day, I'll pay you the going rate. It's not too much. It's not too little. This would have been considered a fair wage. These workers, they're waiting around because they are day laborers. So in other words, they only can feed their family They will only be paid if they work. They need to constantly have work in order to sustain themselves and sustain their family. So when the landowner comes out and all these laborers are waiting there, they're mingling at the side of the street, and the landowner says, you, 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 and you come and work for me, they would have been ecstatic because they would have known, oh, you know what, we're going to get paid, which means there will be food on our table tonight we will be able to feed our family and sustain ourselves for another day. But they would have had to have gone back again the next day and obviously the next day after that. But there's plenty of people that are mingling, waiting for work, as we see here. About nine in the morning, he went out. So remember, the landowner has gone out very early in the morning, before the sun is even up. And there's already workers that are waiting there, hoping to be hired. Then a little bit later, after the first workers were sent to work in the vineyard, a little bit later, nine in the morning, the landowner went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. In other words, they haven't been hired yet. They're standing in the marketplace waiting, hoping that someone will come and hire them. Why? Because they want to feed their families. They want to have enough in order to live and sustain themselves. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And I love this right here. I will pay you what? I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. First workers were told exactly how much they were going to be paid. A little bit later in the story, Now this landowner comes and says, you know what? I'm going to pay you whatever is right. Now this word right comes for the word, oh man, I I practiced this one. Joe, I remember a couple weeks ago, he's like, hey, I'm not going to pronounce the Greek, but here's the trick. You just pretend like you can pronounce it and everyone will be like, wow, he's really good. Uh, Dikaios, this is where the word right comes from and it means justice. It's where we get the word justice from. The landowner goes out and says, I will pay you what is just. I'll pay you whatever is just. And the workers trusted because they went and they worked in the vineyard. 
Story continues. He went out again about noon. This is the third time the landowner is going out. He obviously has a lot of work or he has extra money to burn in his pocket. He goes out again at noon and then again at about three in the afternoon does the same thing. Uh, why are you all standing here? What's going on here? You know what? I'll pay you whatever's right. Go and work for me. About five in the afternoon. Again, this landowner is continuing to go out into the marketplace to see who is still standing there so they can come and work in his vineyard. This would have been odd, the fact that the landowner himself went out. Normally, the landowner would have sent someone under him to go out and hire workers. This is already an odd detail that we hear in the story. Why is the, if you're listening, first century, you're like, why is the landowner going out? Shouldn't he be at home? Shouldn't one of his hired workers be going out to hire other people? So about five, so uh, how, how many times is this? Early in the morning, nine, noon, three, five, the fifth time, went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Like, what's up with you guys? What are you doing here? Like, what's the deal? Why are you just standing here? Why are you doing nothing? To which they replied, because no one has hired us. It's five in the afternoon. If you haven't been hired by now, chances are you probably would have gone home. So obviously there's some need here. There's some desperation. There's this hunger that these workers have. There's, they're holding on to hope. I know it's late, but maybe, just maybe someone will come and hire us even for an hour and give us a fraction of what the other workers are making. And so he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. But here's what I want you to do. Let's not do it the normal way. Let's begin with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to line everyone up and the ones who came in at five o'clock, I want you to pay them first. The ones who came in early in the morning, I want you to pay them last. Now, as I was growing up, my grandfather owned a farm, and I remember how it was every single Friday evening. All the workers who had worked in the farm throughout the entire week, they would line up. And my grandfather, he'd be at a table, and he would pay all the workers as they would come walking through the line. Friday evening, I have never seen people so happy because they were getting paid. They had worked all week. Now they had some money in their pockets. So just think about this. It's the end of the day. All the workers are lining up. They would have been filled with excitement. They would have been enthusiastic in the sense that, okay, we worked. Now we are going to get paid. Now we can go buy Diet Coke. We can go to uh, Jimmy's Chicken Shack. We can do whatever we want to do with this money. We can now go home. We can show our families we have made money. So the excitement level is up here at this time because all the workers are about to get rewarded for their hard work. And then watch what happens. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, they came. They each received a denarius. Last ones. The ones at five, they worked about an hour. They received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, 
They're like us. They're normal. <laughs> they expected to receive more. You ever been there before? I remember one time uh, I had a friend, and he asked me, hey, I'm going to be away. Can you please come and teach for me for a little bit? Uh, I need you to teach about two hours. Just come in and teach. Here's the material, and it's going to go great. And I said, sure, not a problem. Now, I was in the middle of a move. I had lots of different things going on. The material was beyond what I knew. So I had to study a lot so that I could go and teach this material to this class. I went, I did it, and I left thinking, all right, I can't wait for the check to come in the mail. A couple of weeks went by, no check in the mail. Yeah, sometimes we do things with an expectation to be rewarded in a certain way, whether it's monetarily or in other ways, but then something happens, there's a lack of communication. Like I had, we had no understanding about how much I was going to get paid. That was all in my head. But yet sometimes there is an understanding. We have this expectation and then we don't see the reward of that which we have been expecting. How does that make you feel inside? I mean, think about these workers here. They're seeing those who have worked an hour be paid a denarius, and then they come up to the front of the line. Each one of them also received a denarius. How do you think this went over? When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. They are livid. They're upset. And what was their main complaint? You have made them equal to us. You've given them the same value as us, the same worth. Because remember, we worked harder. We have proved ourselves more. We have offered more value. We did more work for you than them. We expended more of ourselves. It was the heat of the day, and we were out there sweating. They came at five. The sun had already set at that hour. We gave more of our energy. We have sacrificed more. And, of course, we accomplished more. We made more money for you. So, obviously, you owe us more money. What they're saying is, is that we are more deserving than them. We deserve more than them. This is the way that our world works. The way our world works it's a transactional way of being. We do this, and we expect to be paid for whatever it is that we do. We have a certain expectation for, well, if we've given this, then I expect to receive this in return. And we have a whole list of things. We value things. We value people. We value jobs, certain activities more than others. We, we're more deserving. Look, look at what we have done. Look at how hard we've proved ourselves. We went to school for this. We did all of this. And now you have made them equal to us. You have given them the exact 
same reward that you gave us. See, what Jesus is teaching here in this parable is that God's world works very differently than our world. We keep score. We, we, we make sure that we receive that which we deserve, and when we don't, we are like these workers where we're saying, well, hold on a second here. This isn't fair. And the story continues. The landowner answered one of them, the biggest complainer, and he says, friend. Friend. Now, friend is the Greek word heterios, and heterios, here's the meaning of it. A companion, normally an imposter, posing to be a comrade, but in reality only has his own interests in mind. This is, this is a harsh remark. Heterios is the same word that Jesus uses to Judas when Judas is betraying him on that fateful night. Friend, do what you're about to do. Yeah, this isn't, come here, buddy. No, this is, I see your inner motives. I see what's going on here. You're pretending to be all chummy and buddy-buddy with me, but in reality, you're just trying to get something from me. I see your heart. I see what's going on here. Hey, friend, friend. No, 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 this is, I know you're an imposter. I know you're really not for me. You're really just for yourself. Very self-interested. So he answered, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? To which the worker's like, uh... And what do you say to that? I, well, yeah, but, but what? I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Now, this is how the parable ends. <laughs> I love how Jesus teaches. The parable ends with a question. Here's the question again. Are you envious because I am generous? End of parable. End of story. Move on to the next scene. It's open-ended, which then raises the question, well, how does the story end? And here's the answer. It's up to you. It's up to you. It's up to us as we read this story today. How does the story end? I don't know. How does it end for you? See, we are now being invited to complete this story. It's being thrown back to us, which is how Jesus always taught. He taught in a way so that his listeners and us reading it 2,000, late, 2000 years later are now being invited into the story ourselves so that now we can go and live it out. We, we hear, hear these words, we hear these teachings, and then now we are forced to sit with them ourselves and listen and discern, well, what does it mean for me in my life today? What does it mean for how I understand God? What does it mean for how I follow Jesus with my life? Absolutely brilliant. There's no answer here necessarily. The answer is up to you to go and embody the truths that Jesus is teaching. That's what I love about Scripture. It's not something that we just sit, read, check off a box, we're on to the next thing. 
but we sit with it. We allow it to work within us so that it changes us, transforms us. It forces us to look at some of the ugly parts of our nature, some of the things that we are holding on to, where Jesus is like, hey, if you were to let go of that, wow, your life could look bigger. If you were to let go of some of the things that you're holding on to, you, you, you think they're best for you, but in reality, they're, they're decaying your soul. They're rotting your soul. And if you were to let go of those ways of living, you, you might come to truly find life. So we have to talk about generosity, justice, and grace. First, generosity. Are you envious because I am generous? Who knows what this is? Who's ever used one of these before? When I first started going to baseball games at Yankee Stadium as a young kid, every single time we went, we would buy one of the programs. And in the back of the program, you have a scorecard that looks exactly like this. And I remember, I would mark that scorebook uh, scorecard up the entire game. So if this guy got a single, you drew one line, stolen base, you mark to see how well the pitcher is doing, then at the end of the day, you can look at that scorecard and you would know exactly how well or poorly each player performed. And then what you would do is you would, you would look at all the different stats throughout the year and then you would compile all those stats and then you would say, hey, this guy had a good year, this guy had a bad year. The ones who had a good year, they would receive a whole lot of money, they would get the good contracts, but if there were players who had poor years because they didn't get many hits or home runs, RBIs, or the pitchers didn't perform well, they would be let go or they would not receive a contract. It's how baseball, it's how sports, it's how much of our world works. You perform well, you get this. And we're constantly being graded. We all have metrics that we use to analyze ourselves and others. These metrics, sometimes like here on the scorecard, they are visible, they're right there in front of you, but then we all have hidden metrics that we use. We're constantly comparing ourselves to others. We're comparing ourselves now to who we were 5, 10, 15 years ago. We have all these metrics all the time swirling around in our head. And the better you perform on those metrics, the more deserving you are. But if you don't perform as well with those metrics, then you consider someone else, yourself possibly, to be less deserving. And the thing about being human is that we're always trying to rig the game for ourselves. Have you ever noticed this? We try to rig the metrics in a way where we come out on top. <laughs> Anyone else do this or am I alone in this one? <laughs> so as we begin comparing to other people, we're like, hey, look at my metrics compared to theirs. Of course, I'm more deserving than them. See, the landowner, he has no scorecard. The landowner is like, yeah, I, I understand that they came at the end and that you worked harder. I, I get all of that. I know how it works. I know how the world works. Of course, he's the landowner. He has money. He knows other people who are in his position. So, yes, he knows how our world works, but still he doesn't keep a scorecard. But instead, he has this generous way of being. And what happens with this parable is we are now being invited to throw away that scorecard and to live as people of generosity. 
to live with, yeah, there's these metrics, but, you know, sometimes you defy the metrics. And sometimes there's people who aren't as deserving, but you're generous to them anyway. You're a little more graceful to others. So when we talk about this parable, at the heart of it, it's a question of generosity. Will we embody the type of generosity that we see on display with the landowner? Now we come to the word justice. Remember that? I will pay you what is just, what is right. I was going to say the Greek word again, but then I forgot it. Uh, so I will pay you what is right. Dikaios. Yeah, there we go. We got it. Uh, I will pay you what is right, what is uh, just, not what is fair. Yeah, it's a hard one for us because sometimes life doesn't seem fair. I get it. Yeah, we've all been there before. Maybe you're there right now. It doesn't seem fair. Why do I have to go through this and they don't have to? Why haven't I been rewarded? I mean, look at how much I've done. I mean, this is really, really big in religious circles. Look at how much I have done for God. Of course, God is going to reward me. Look at what they've done. They haven't done anything for God, yet their life is more blessed than my life. I have sacrificed more. I am a bigger follower, a better follower of Jesus than them. So shouldn't I be rewarded for my sacrifice? But in reality, I'm just left with this. Yeah, yeah, we all have this fairness, but the landowner, I will pay you what is right. And remember, this word comes from justice. My Hebrew professor has the greatest definition that I have ever heard of justice, Dr. Widbin, and he says justice, or mishpat, which is the Hebrew word that we find in the Old Testament for justice. It's the word that is used to mean society in Scripture. I love it. When we talk about justice, we are talking about society. All of us together, living together in harmony, creating a world together. So justice is the powerful dynamic embedded by God in creation's design that makes the world a life-giving and a life-sustaining place, and I would add, for all people. So at the heart of this parable, we're talking about generosity, but we're also talking about justice. And together, all of us creating a world that is life-giving and life-sustaining for every single person, which then raises a few questions for us. Would being able, oh, well, let's actually start. Before we get to the questions, hold on, let's go back to this slide. Uh, remember, this was one detail we talked about earlier. If a day laborer wasn't hired, they may not be able to feed their family. So remember, no work, no food. So for those who are still mingling at 5 o'clock, the chances of them being able to feed their family that night, they were dropping pretty rapidly throughout the day. But then they get hired, which means they could then go and feed their family. So here are the questions for us in relation to justice and this whole idea. Would being able to feed, one, feed one's family be a good thing? Yeah. Is others' lack okay because they didn't prove themselves? See, we all agree that if someone can feed their family, well, that's a really, really good thing. But then we have some workers who begin grumbling because, hey, they're getting paid, but they didn't work as hard. They're missing the bigger picture that now this person is able to feed their family. Which then, this other question, well, is it okay? Is it okay for others to go hungry? 
Is it okay for others to not have the things that they need to sustain their lives because they haven't proven themselves? I mean, this is what the first workers are grumbling and complaining about. But if you dig a little bit deeper under the surface, you see that they're really not happy with the fact that those workers hired at five could go and feed their family because it's not fair. It's not, they, they haven't uh, proven themselves worthy of receiving. See, God's dream for our world is justice. A world that is just. A world that is a society that is life-giving and life-sustaining for all people. It's a world where everyone has what they need to survive and flourish. So, will we be angered if we go with less so that others can have enough? I mean, these are the questions that this parable raises. Think about those first workers. They thought they were going to get more. Well, if they only, I mean, think about, they're probably doing the math as they're waiting in line here. I mean, the landowner lined them up a particular way because he was trying to prove a point. So if the ones went at 5 o'clock, we're getting a denarius. The ones who went there early, early in the morning, they're like, all right, one times we work, what, 12 hours? We're going to get 12. That's what we deserve according to these metrics. So the question then for the first workers, for all of us, I mean, will we be angered if we go with less so that others can have enough? Will we trade our definition of fair for just? Yeah, these are difficult questions. These parables are not easy they bother us because this isn't how the world works. It's not how it's supposed to be. It's not fair. Yeah, it's much easier to memorize this parable, but to actually have to sift through all the questions this parable raises and then be forced to confront the questions ourselves. Ooh, whoa, hold on a second. I don't want to do that. I'd rather keep the parable over there at arm's length. I don't want to ac actually have to enter into the parable and now live it out myself. And then let's talk about grace. Because you knew this was coming, right? Definition of grace, unmerited favor. If the landowner is the God figure, we could call the workers, the first workers, we could call them religious gatekeepers. And you have religious gatekeepers all across the religious landscape. And what these gatekeepers tell you is who is worthy of God's grace and who is unworthy of God's grace. Now, for these religious gatekeepers, who do you think is worthy of God's grace? They are. <laughs> Again, we create these metrics in our head in order to put ourselves up at the top. The religious gatekeepers also would have said, or rather they would have, uh, they would shrink grace or they would shrink the favor of God. Remember, think about these first workers. Uh, they don't deserve that. So they're shrinking the generosity of the landowner. But then you have the landowner who actually expanded grace. This happens all the time. You have people who want to shrink God's grace down and make it only for some people who do certain things and perform particular ways. But then you have a landowner. You have a God who's like, whoa, 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 my grace is boundless. My favor, my love, 
It's for all people, and honestly, it's not based on merit. Like, you come up with all these ideas and all these ways that you try to rig the system, but in reality, there's just most likely something going on that you're uncomfortable with, and so it makes you feel better about yourself when you're in and others are out. Kind of calms some of the fear, some of the anxiety, and some of the question, but the landowner's like, whoa, whoa, that's not how I work. My grace is actually for all people. It's boundless. I mean, think about it. How many times did the landowner go into the market? Five times. Five times. So what was this grace based on? Need. How many of us could use some grace in our lives? Yeah. How many of us, we, we feel like we've blown it? Yeah. We carry some shame around with us. We have some things in a suitcase that we drag behind us that we wish weren't true about ourselves. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to grace, I mean, honestly, we're all on equal footing. <laughs> we're all right there. What was this grace based on need? It was based on hunger. Think about those workers who were waiting in the marketplace throughout the day. They could have given up. They could have left. But they stayed there because there is this hunger, this desire, this hope that they kept holding onto. The grace, it was this reliancy on someone beyond themselves for what they needed. And that places us all on equal footing. Because sometimes we all need someone beyond ourselves that can come and put us back together. That can come and speak words of blessing and affirmation over us, telling us, I know where you've been. I know what you've been through. I know what you believe about yourself. I know where you fall on your own metrics, but we're throwing all that away because my love is with you. My grace is upon you. And there's nothing that disqualifies you from that grace. See, I often wonder, who is more at home in God's world? I mean, think about the story here. You have the first workers, they were invited in right from the start, but are they really at home in this world? And sometimes we have these religious gatekeepers. They do all the right things, go to all the right places. But are they really at home in a world of grace and mercy and love? A world where the scorecard is thrown out? See, for following Jesus is a true follower of Jesus, someone who holds all the right beliefs up here and has all the proper scripture memorized and can answer all the questions the right way and has their theological furniture arranged in the proper ways up there in their head, or is a true follower of Jesus, someone who pursues a way of being in the world. Follow me and you will come to find life. Follow my teaching. Yeah, is, is a true follower of Jesus one who pursues love, forgiveness, mercy, 
justice. Jesus was not walking around giving Torah Bible studies. He was inviting disciples, followers, into a way of being. And his promise was, if you embody these teachings, you'll find life. If you embody these teachings, your life will be changed. If you embody these teachings, and they're difficult, and they're messy, and they're hard, yes. And it's not a straight up and to the right path. There's mountains and valleys and regression and steps backwards and leaps forward. Yeah, it's all mixed in there together. But if you point your face in this particular direction and begin pursuing this way of being, you'll find that what you're looking for. You'll find the life that you truly desire, a life of the Spirit. So we end this parable. Well, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious? Because I am generous. It's open-ended. It's now our opportunity to embody this parable, to carry it forward and to ask ourselves, all right, what does this mean for me? What does it mean about how I view God, about how I understand myself? What does it mean for how I treat other human beings? What does it mean for how I view my fellow human beings, especially those who don't perform well on the internal metrics that we all carry within us? See, does generosity, and this is the final question, does generosity, grace, and justice, does it lead to grumbling or does it lead to joy? I hope for you is that it would lead to joy. That when others receive what they don't deserve, it's a good thing. When you receive what you don't deserve, it's a good thing. So may your heart be filled with joy. May you see the grace that is upon you. And may that transform you. May you be filled with hope. May you embody a life of generosity and may you give your life to creating a world of justice where all people have what they need to flourish and survive may you not be like those first workers who grumble and complain and make sure everyone gets their fair slice their fair share of the pie but may you have a heart of generosity.